0: Letter from Philon to Ignatius Joseph Martinovitz, Professor of Physics at the University of Limburg, Part Three, from the Countess of Rotalstadt. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Countess of Rotalstadt by George Sand. Translated by Francis G. Shaw Letter from Phylon to Ignatius Joseph Martinovitz Professor of Physics at the University of Lemberg, Part 3 Then Trismegistus entered into a kind of divine transport. His eyes shone like stars, and his voice bowed us like the hurricane. During more than four hours he spoke, and his speech was beautiful and pure as a sacred hymn. From the religious, political, and artistic work of all the ages, he composed the most magnificent poem that can be conceived. He interpreted all the religions of the past, all the mysteries of the temples, of the poems, and of the legislations, all the efforts, all the tendencies, all the labors of anterior humanity. In those things which had always seemed to us dead or condemned, he discovered the elements of life, and from the darkness of the very fables, he made to shine the lightnings of truth. He explained the ancient myths he established in his lucid and ingenious demonstration, all the bonds, all the points of contact of the religions among themselves. He showed us the true requirements of humanity, more or less understood by the legislators, more or less realized by the people. He reconstituted before our eyes the unity of life in humanity, the unity of doctrine in religion, and from all the materials scattered in the old and new world, he formed the basis of his future world. At last he caused to disappear the doubts of continuity, which had so long stopped us in our studies. He filled up the abysses of history, which had so terrified us. He unrolled in a single, infinite spiral the myriads of consecrated bandages which enveloped the mummy of science. And when we had received with the quickness of the flash what he showed to us with the rapidity of lightning, when we had seized the aggregate of his vision and the past, father of the present, stood before us like the luminous man of the apocalypse. He stopped and said to us with a smile, "'Now you comprehend the past and the present. Is there any necessity for me to show to you the future? Does not the Holy Spirit shine before your eyes? Do you not see that all which man has dreamed and desired of sublime is possible and certain in the future?' for the simple reason that truth is eternal and absolute, in spite of the weakness of our organs to conceive and possess it. And yet, we all possess it by hope and by desire. It lives in us. It exists from all time in humanity, in the state of germ awaiting the supreme fecundation. I tell you, in truth, we gravitate towards the ideal, and this gravitation is infinite as the ideal itself. He spoke again, and his poem of the future was as magnificent as that of the past. I will not try to translate it for you here. I should spoil it, and one must be oneself under the influence of inspiration in order to transmit what inspiration has uttered. I shall perhaps require two or three years of meditation to write worthily what Trismegistus told us in two or three hours. The work of the life of Socrates was the work of the life of Plato, and that of Jesus has been that of 17 centuries. You see that I, unfortunate and unworthy, must shudder at the idea of my task. Still, I do not give it up. The master does not embarrass himself with this transcribing, such as I wish to make it. A man of action, he has already drawn up a code which contains, from his point of view, the whole doctrine of Trismegistus, with as much clearness and precision as if he had himself studied and examined it all his life. He has assimilated, as by an electric contact, all the intelligence, all the soul of the philosopher. He possesses it. He is master of it. He will make use of it as a politician. He will be the living and immediate translation instead of the tardy and dead letter which I propose. And before I have accomplished my work, he will have transmitted the doctrine to his school. Yes, perhaps before two years. The strange and mysterious words which have been uttered in this mountain will have cast their roots among numerous adepts, and we shall see that vast subterranean world of secret societies, which now moves in darkness, unite under a single doctrine, receive a new legislation, and recover its action by being initiated into the word of life. We bring to you this so desired monument, which confirms the foresight of Spartacus, which sanctions the truths already attained by him, and which enlarges his horizon with all the strength of an inspired faith. While Trismegatus spoke, and I listened greedily, fearing to lose the sound of those words which produced on me the effect of a sacred hymn. Spartacus, master of himself and his exaltation, his eye on fire, but his hand firm, and his mind still more open than his ear, was rapidly tracing upon his tablets signs and figures, as if the metaphysical conception of this doctrine had been presented to him under the forms of geometry. When, that very evening, he recurred to those strange notes, which had no meaning in my eyes, I was surprised to see him use them to write down and put in order with incredible precision the deductions of the poetical logic of the philosopher. All was simplified and summed up as if by magic in that mysterious alembic of our master's practical understanding. Footnote. It is known that Weiskopf, eminently an organizer, used material signs to sum up his system, and that he sent to his distant disciples his whole theory represented by circles and lines on a small square of paper. Still, he was not yet satisfied. Trismegatus seemed abandoned by his inspiration. His eyes lost their brightness, his body seemed to sink, and the Zingara made a sign to us not to interrogate him any further. Yet, ardent in the pursuit of truth, Spartacus did not listen to her, but pressed the poet with imperious questions. "'You have depicted to me the kingdom of God upon the earth,' said he to him shaking his chilled hand. But Jesus has said, "'My kingdom is not yet of this time.' For seventeen centuries humanity awaits in vain the realization of his promises." I have not been raised to the same height as yourself in the contemplation of eternity. Time presents to you, as to God himself, the spectacle or the idea of a permanent activity, all the phases of which reply at all times to your exalted feeling. As to myself, I live nearer to the earth. I count centuries and years. I wish to read in my own life. Tell me, prophet, What I have to do in this phase in which you see me, what your words have affected in me, and what they will affect in the age which commences. I do not wish to have passed through it in vain. What matters it to you, that which I know, replied the poet? No one lives in vain. Nothing is lost. No one of us is useless." Let me turn my eyes from that detail which saddens the heart and contracts the mind. I am overpowered with fatigue at having thought of it a moment. Revealer, you have no right to yield to exhaustion, resumes Spartacus, with energy, endeavoring to communicate the fire of his glance to the vague and already dreamy eye of the poet. If you turn away your sight from the spectacle of human misery— You are not the real man, the complete man, of whom an ancient said, Homo sum et nihil humani ame alieno puto. No, you do not love men. You are not their brother. If you are not interested in the evils which they suffer at every hour of eternity, and if you do not seek the remedy in the speedy application of your ideal, O unhappy artist, Who does not feel a devouring fire consume him in this terrible and delightful search? What then do you ask of me, returned the poet, moved and almost irritated in his turn? Have you then the pride to think yourself the sole workman? And do you believe that I attribute to myself the honor of being the only inspirer? I am not a diviner. I despise false prophets— and have for a long time contended against them. My predictions are reasonings. My visions are perceptions elevated to their highest power. The poet is quite other than the sorcerer. He dreams with certainty, while the other invents at random. I believe in your action, because I feel the contact of your power. I believe in the sublimity of my dreams, because I feel myself capable of producing them and because humanity is great enough and generous enough to realize a hundredfold and in mass whatever one of its members has been able to conceive alone. Well, said Spartacus, it is the destiny of that humanity which I ask from you in the name of the humanity which also stirs in my bosom and which I bear in me with more anxiety and perhaps more love than yourself, An enchanting dream veils from you its sufferings, and I touch them, shuddering at every hour of my life. I thirst to appease them, and, like a physician at the bedside of an expiring friend, I would rather kill him by imprudence than let him die without assistance. You see, I am a dangerous man, a monster, perhaps, if you do not make of me a saint. Tremble for the dying man, if you do not put the remedy into the hands of the enthusiast. Humanity dreams, sings, and prays in you. In me, it suffers, cries, and laments. You have opened to me your future, but your future is far off, whatever you may say, and it will cost me much sweat to extract some drops of your dictamen for the wounds which are now bleeding." All generations languish and perish without light and without action. I, incarnate suffering humanity. I, the cry of distress and the desire of salvation. I wish to know if my action will be fatal or beneficent. You have not so turned your eyes from the evil as to not know that it exists. Whither must we run first. What must be done tomorrow? Is it by gentleness... Is it by violence that we must combat the enemies of good? Remember, your dear Taborites, they saw a sea of blood and of tears to be crossed before entering the terrestrial paradise. I do not take you for a diviner, but through your symbols I see a powerful logic and magnificent clearness. If you can predict with certainty the most distant future, you can more surely "'Pierce the veiled horizon which limits the extent of my sight.' "'The poet appeared to be the victim of intense suffering. "'The sweat ran from his brow. "'He looked at Spartacus by turns with terror and with enthusiasm. "'A terrible strife oppressed him. "'His wife, horrified, encircled him with her arms "'and addressed mute reproaches to our master "'by looks in which was depicted nevertheless.' respectful fear. Never have I felt more strongly the power of Spartacus than at this moment, when he overpowered, with all his fanatic will of uprightness and of truth, the tortures of this prophet contending with inspiration, the sorrow of that suppliant woman, the terror of their children, and the reproaches of his own heart. I was myself trembling. I considered him cruel, I feared to see the beautiful soul of the poet broken in a last effort, and the tears which shone in Consuelo's eyes fell bitter and burning upon my heart. Suddenly Trismegistus rose, and, repelling both Spartacus and the Zingara, motioning to his children to remove, he appeared to us transfigured. His glance seemed to read in an invisible book, vast as the world, written in characters of light upon the vault of heaven. He cried, Am I not man? Why should I not say what human nature demands and what it will consequently realize? Yes, I am man. Therefore, I can say what man wishes and what he will effect. He who sees the cloud gather can predict the lightning and the hurricane. I know what is in my bosom and what will issue from it. I am man and am in connection with the humanity of my time. I have seen Europe, and I am acquainted with the storms which growl in her bosom. Friends, my dreams are not dreams. I swear it by human nature. Those dreams are dreams only in comparison with the present form of the world. But which has the initiative, spirit or matter? The gospel says, The Spirit bloweth where it listeth. The Spirit will blow and will change the face of the world. It is said in Genesis that the Spirit blew upon the waters when all was chaos and darkness. Now creation is eternal. Let us create then. That is to say, let us obey the breath of the Spirit. I see the darkness and the chaos. Why should we remain in darkness? vainy? Creator Spiritus. He interrupted himself and resumed thus. Is it Louis XV who can strive against you, Spartacus? Frederick, the disciple of Voltaire, is not so powerful as his master. And if I should compare Maria Theresa to my Consuelo, but what blasphemy! He interrupted himself again. Come, Zdenko, you, my son. You, the descendant of the polterbrats, and who bear the name of a slave, prepare yourself to sustain us. You are the new man. Which side will you take? Will you be with your father and mother or with the tyrants of the world? In you is the strength, new generation. Will you confirm slavery or liberty? Son of Consuelo, son of the gypsy woman, godson of the slave, I hope that you will be with the gypsy woman and with the slave. Otherwise, I, born of kings, I renounce you. He added, He who should dare to say that the divine essence, which is beauty, goodness, power, will not be realized upon the earth. That man is Satan. He added, moreover, he who should dare to say that the human essence created in the image of God, as says the Bible, and which is sensation, sentiment, knowledge, will not be realized upon the earth, that man is Cain. He remained some time mute and resumed thus. Your strong will, Spartacus, has produced the effect of an incantation. How weak are those kings upon their thrones? They think themselves powerful, because all bend before them. They do not see that which threatens. Ah, you have cast down the nobles and their armed men, the bishops and their clergy, and you think yourselves very strong. But that which you have cast down was your strength. It is not your mistresses, your courtiers, and your abbeys, who will defend you, poor monarchs, vain phantoms. "'Hasten to France, Spartacus. "'France will soon destroy. "'She has need of you. "'Hasten, I tell you, hasten, "'if you wish to take part in the work. "'France is the predestined among the nations. "'Unite yourself, my son, "'to the elders of the human race. "'I hear resound in France these words of Isaiah. "'Arise, be enlightened, for thy light is come.' And the glory of the Eternal is descended upon thee, and the nations will come to thy light. The Taborites sing that of Tabor. At this day, Tabor is France. He was silent for some time. His face had become radiant with happiness. I am happy, he cried. Glory to God. Glory to God in the heavens, as says the gospel, and peace upon earth to men of good will. It is the angels who sing that. I feel like the angels, and I would sing with them. What then has happened? I am still among you, my friends. I am still with thee, O my Eve, O my Consuelo. These are my children, the souls of my soul. But we are no longer in the mountains of Bohemia, upon the ruins of the chateau of my fathers. It seems to me that I breathe light and that I enjoy eternity. Who, then, of you said just now? Oh, how beautiful is life? How beautiful is nature? How beautiful is humanity? But he added, the tyrants have spoiled all that. Tyrants, there are none any longer. Man is equal to man. Human nature is comprehended, recognized, sanctified. Man is free, equal, and brother. There is no longer any other definition of man. No more masters, no more slaves. Do you hear that cry, long live the republic? Do you hear that numberless crowd which proclaims liberty, fraternity, equality? Ah, that is the formula which in our mysteries was uttered in a low voice and which only the adepts of the higher grades communicated to each other. Then there is no more room for the secret. The sacraments are for all the world, the cup to all the world, as said our fathers the Hussites. But suddenly, alas, he began to weep hot tears. I knew well that the doctrine was not sufficiently advanced. There were not men enough who carried it in their heart or comprehended it in their mind. What horror, continued he, War everywhere, and such a war. He wept a long while. We knew not what visions pressed before his eyes. It seemed to us that he again saw the war of the Hussites. All his faculties appeared troubled. His soul was like that of the Christ upon Calvary. I suffered a great deal at seeing him suffer so much. Spartacus was firm as a man who consults oracles. Lord, Lord, cried the prophet, after having long wept and groaned, have pity upon us. We are in thy hands. Do with us according to thy will. As he pronounced these last words, Trismegatis extended his hands to seek those of his wife and son, as if he were instantaneously deprived of sight. The little girls came, quite frightened, to press against his heart and they all remained intertwined in the deepest silence. The features of the Zingara expressed terror, and young Zdenko interrogated with affright the looks of his mother. Spartacus did not see them. Was the vision of the poet still before his eyes? At last he approached the group, and the Zingara made to him a sign not to arouse her husband. His eyes were opened and fixed before him, whether he was sleeping after the manner of the somnambulist or saw slowly effaced on the horizon the dreams which had agitated him. After a quarter of an hour, he breathed deeply. His eyes became animated, and he drew to his bosom his wife and his son, whom he kept there long embraced. Then he rose and made a sign that he desired to resume his journey. The sun is very hot for you at this hour, said Consuelo to him. "'Do you not prefer to take the siesta under these trees?' "'The sun is good,' replied he, with an ingenuous smile. "'And if you do not fear it more than usual, it will do me great good.' "'Each resumed his burden—the father the traveling bag, "'the young man the instruments, and the mother the hands of her daughters. "'You have made me suffer,' said she to Spartacus. But I know that we must suffer for the truth. Do you not fear that this crisis may have evil consequences, asked I of her with emotion. Let me follow you still further. I may be useful to you. Be blessed for your charity, returned she, but do not follow us. I fear nothing for him but a little melancholy during a few hours. But there was in this place a danger, a horrible recollection from which you have preserved him by busying him with other thoughts. He wished to come here, and, thanks to you, he has not even recognized the place. I therefore bless you in every manner, and wish for you the opportunity and the means of serving God with all your power. I retained the children to caress them and to prolong the moments which fled, but their mother took them from me, and I felt as if abandoned by all when she bid me farewell for the last time. Trismegesis did not bid us farewell. He seemed to have forgotten us. His wife implored us not to distract him. He descended the hill with a firm step. His face was calm, and with a kind of happy gaiety, he assisted his beloved daughter to leap over the thickets and the rocks. The handsome Sedanka walked behind him with his mother and his younger sister. We followed them for a long while with our eyes upon the road sanded with gold, the road without master of the forest. At last they were lost behind the firs, and at the moment when she was about to disappear the last, we saw the Zingara raise her little one Salawa and place her upon her strong shoulder. Then she hastened to rejoin her dear caravan, alert as a true daughter of Bohemia, poetical as the good goddess of poverty. And we also, we are on the road, we walk forward. Life is a journey which has life for its end, and not death, as is said in a material and gross sense. We consoled as well as we could the inhabitants of the hamlet, and left old Zdenko awaiting his tomorrow. We joined our brothers at Pilsen, whence I have written to you this recital, and we are about to depart on other quests. And do you also, friend, hold yourself ready for the journey without rest, for the action without fainting? We go to triumph or to martyrdom. Footnote. Martinovitz, to whom this letter was addressed, a distinguished savant and enthusiastic illuminé was beheaded at Buda in seventeen ninety five, with several Hungarian lords his accomplices in a conspiracy. End. End of letter from Philon to Ignatius Joseph Martinovitz, Professor of Physics at the University of Lemberg, Part Three and of the Countess of Rodelstadt.